Hi, I'm TechCrunch Managing Editor Daryl Etherington. Welcome back to the TechCrunch Podcast, where we cover everything you need to know about the week's top stories in tech from the people who wrote them. This week, I'm talking to Kyle Wiggers about a new open source AI generator that is allowing for more deep fakes and not safe for work content. Brian Heater also comes on to talk about what we can expect from Apple's iPhone event and what we know so far about the reported antitrust lawsuit against Apple. Before we get into all that, here's what else is going on in tech news this week. Twitter reportedly considered monetizing adult content, similar to OnlyFans. The company ended up freezing the project after an internal team found the network could not reliably detect child sexual abuse material or non-consensual content at scale. It's not such a wild idea. Lots of adult content creators already use Twitter for promotion, so the network stands to gain a lot in terms of revenue by offering on-platform subscriptions. The challenge for the company is that it can't do so with its existing safeguards against potential criminal content, and it also can't devote significant resources to building those out more fully. You can read more about this on TC from Amanda Silverling. SpaceX's Starlink got a vote of confidence this week with Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines announcing it'll adopt the satellite-based internet for all of its ships. Starlink just announced its yacht and sea-focused offering Starlink Maritime last month. It's yet another wake-up call for legacy satellite internet providers, which can't compete with the much closer-to-Earth Starlink when it comes to network speed and stability in coverage areas. Check out Devin Coldaway's story on TechCrunch for more. Snap has cut 20% of its overall workforce after missing its own quarterly guidance by a lot during its most recent earnings report. The social network also recently axed its Pixie selfie camera drone just a few months after debuting the gadget. A 20% reduction means more than 1,200 staffers will be let go in the move. The company also revealed it's ending its Snap Originals program for creating new content specifically for the platform once current orders of existing shows run their course. More on that from Amanda Silverling on TC. We touch on this with Brian later on, but Apple's big annual iPhone event will definitely dominate next week's news cycle. So be sure to check out our roundup of what to expect for details on iPhone 14, Apple Watch Pro, and many other predictions ahead of Wednesday's announcements. First up, Kyle Wiggers is back to talk about Stable Diffusion, a new open source AI generator that allows for unfiltered creation and has led to a deep fake free for all. Hey, Kyle, how's it going? Yeah, it's going great, Daryl. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, great to have you back. And this week we're talking about something that's been like consistently a hot topic in general is just the AI image generators. It seems like there's a lot of progress lately in that area, but we're talking about a specific part of that conversation and that trend. And it's kind of misuse of these generators. And I guess the conversation is prompted by the introduction of this new stable diffusion What do you call them? I've just been using AI image generators. I think that's a good (laughs) catch-all. There you go. Okay. So it's the image generator, but it's open source, but it doesn't necessarily have any built-in guardrails preventing it from being used for potentially nefarious purposes. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So I wrote two pieces on this within the past month, one about the company behind it, Stability AI, which is fascinating. It's basically funded by a former hedge fund gentleman who has this He just has a fascination with AI in general and what it can do, especially when it's unchained (laughs) and unrestricted. (laughs) I should note that Stable Diffusion, the system we're talking about and, and the subject of these pieces, does have a safety mechanism built in. But you can disable that. So right. yeah, online, you know, they have a tool you can use that's powered by this system. They have some safeguards there. There are workarounds, however, I should note. And then there's an open source version of this that a bunch of people, companies, have been building into their services since it was released a week or so ago. 
And some of them are choosing to keep the safety mechanism enabled, which does some filtering of, you know, objectionable material, pornography, that sort of thing. Others are choosing to disable that. One example that comes to mind is the developers behind that game AI Dungeon, which, you know, was pretty popular a few years ago. Basically, it uses an AI model from OpenAI to um, create like a text-based adventure scenario mm. for, for players. They're building stable diffusion into their service, and they're allowing not safe for work art, if uh, you so choose to to go that direction with your um, text scenario. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll get to this in a second or two, but the floodgates have really been opened by this. And, right. you know, the, the technology has incredible potential. It's generating like really amazing surrealist art, art in the style of literally any artist you can think of. But other folks are using it for, you know, different uh, right. use cases that not everyone finds savory or you know, above board. Yeah, I've been just dabbling with it through various endpoints. Like you mentioned, it's been used by a number of different companies. So the one which you mentioned in one of your articles is Midjourney. And that's the one I've been using. It's just the Discord bot is the way that they've implemented it currently. But the results I've gotten are really impressive. Like some of them are frankly breathtaking of just like what it can do. I mean, there's definitely a learning, well, not even a learning curve. Like it, it can surprise you based on what you put in for a prompt and whatever. Right. But like really, really amazing stuff coming out of it. Like stuff that I'm just floored is being generated by a computer rather than an actual human artist. Right. But the flip side of that is what you covered specifically in the piece about, you know, deep fakes for all. And is like the classifier, which you mentioned is it on, but it's it, all it is is essentially a toggle, right? Or is it like it doesn't, it's not hard coded. There's no sort of mm-hmm. anything inherent in the tool that prevents the not safe for work material being generated. Like that's fairly easy to flip off, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's not like hard programmed into the model or any sort of, you know, it's like you said, completely optional. It's a component of the open source package through which the system is available. And that's a choice. It's as far as I can tell. <laughs> The only stability AI is the only company that's decided to go that route. And it's, you know, others have been held back by ethics concerns very legitimately. All of the AI ethics uh, experts I spoke to for the PC reference just now had problems with this because it's not just like not safe for work material you can generate. It's also, you know, like you said, deep fakes because the system was trained on image data from the web, just like mm-hmm. public images from Pinterest, some sites with pornographic materials. And celebrities, lots of images of celebrities. So it's really not that hard to Google search or browse around on 4chan and find deep fakes of, you know, celebrities that are posing in the nude generated by this a stable diffusion system. And it's like, right. well, not great. <laughs> I mean, deep fakes are yeah. nothing new, obviously. One might argue, and I think I mentioned this in the piece, that uh, you could use Photoshop to do the same thing. But the problem is that still takes time and expertise. Some yes. of the previous generation systems, too, haven't been quite as good. You've been able to tell, oh, this is a deep fake. There's some artifacts. Like, you know, obviously, it's not great, the imagery that these previous generation systems are making, but like, it's detectable. It's like, okay, you know. Um, but this, it's like you said, getting harder to differentiate between real and not. And these systems are going to continue to improve. Like a new version of the system just came out this week, today, in fact. And, you know, it's an open question, like what people will use them to do in the future. I'm working on a piece currently, actually. I just started it this morning. A new website popped up that's entirely AI-generated pornography using stable diffusion, as far as I can tell. And I don't know, you know, it's like on the one hand, you know, that's innovation of a sort, (laughs) 
On the other, right. like it raises questions about like the livelihoods of those in the adult content industry. Yep. It's just a crazy time. And by just putting these systems out into the wild, it's going to raise all sorts of tricky questions that will have to be addressed in the years to come. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's something that comes up, you know, with the advent of a lot of new technologies, right, is sort of the classic example, probably overused is kind of atomic energy, right? Like, well, it has great potential to help humankind, and then it has great destructive potential either, right? And I I think that there's a simplification often in like TV and movies that like, oh, yeah, everything has these kind of two sides, and you just have to introduce it. I'm curious, because it sounds like perhaps... Mostak here, the CEO of Stability AI, is of the opinion that like, yes, this side of it is going to exist and there's no use denying that this is going to exist. And there's not even really any use in putting in sort of like reasonable defaults to prevent this side from being brought forward because it'll get out. Is that kind of the impression you got from him? Yeah, he's called efforts to do that sort of thing paternalistic a couple mm. of times. He said that to me, he said that on the Stability AI's, you know, official Discord channel, or I mean server rather. He's of the opinion that, you know, people are going to make this at some point. So why not just like put it out Get there, it out there. <laughs> right. right? Kind of um, rip the bandaid off as it were. But yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he sees it just like you said, as a neutral thing. And it can be used for, quote unquote, you know, good uh, purposes and, and not so good, depending on your opinion and where you stand on these things. But I get the impression that he feels safeguards are necessary when you're working with certain commercial clients. Right. But I think he does draw the line there. He realizes that, you know, some brands are not comfortable with being associated with deepfakes and pornography. And that's one reason you need maybe like safety mechanisms but as far as the open source community is concerned and like the internet more broadly he's like you know well, let's just see what people make and right. we'll see if that ends up being a destructive approach or not i think it's maybe too early to tell but some of the evidence so far is not incredibly promising i will say no i mean it's one of these things where as you mentioned it's an incredibly fraught ethical question right and i think that while it is not my personal perspective or opinion i do believe that his view on this is probably shared with a lot of people, a surprising amount of people in the software open source community, right? Like they don't tend to be too encouraging of overriding protections or that paternalism, like you're saying, right? Which to other people is just like sensible defaults or whatever, right? But to some people is like, no, you're just trying to control us. But I think that it's like the ethical concerns, like you mentioned the sex worker part of it too, right? I didn't, I hadn't even thought about that, that it just takes away a whole livelihood, but I think in terms of that way, and then in terms of also without permission, portraying women, you know, who are, who have a certain degree of celebrity, like in this way that they absolutely do not approve of. And not even that, right? Like it, the, mm. that's just an example that is high profile, that gets a lot of attention, but at the level of individuals and bullying, like you can see how this would work to disastrous effect. If you were just like, you talk about it in the article, we haven't addressed it, but Miners is another concern, and they have a license that prevents the use of that, but that's nothing. That's a document. As you said, there's nothing in the technology that prevents that. It's just a sort of licensing agreement. But like when you think about that, it becomes much more fraught, right? Like when you think about girls in high school or whatever and their peers using this stuff to kind of bully them or like ruin their reputation or whatever, like it's a huge hornet's nest to be kicking, and especially with the sort of, it seems like with the frivolity that this guy seems to be kicking it with, like it doesn't seem like he's put a lot of great deep thought into it, but maybe I'm not giving him a lot of credit. No, I think that's accurate. All the points you raised are, are great and I'm glad you brought up the minors issue because 
there's nothing, as far as I can tell, to prevent somebody from creating explicit images involving a minor, and that's terrible. And as you said, and as I mentioned in the piece, like some person could plant that AI-generated image on, on somebody's device, and all of a sudden, like there's a criminal investigation. Right. That's theoretical, and you know, is that happening right now? I doubt it. But I fully believe, just based on what I've seen over the past few weeks, eventually, like apps will be able to run this. You'll be able to like go to the Play Store or the Apple App Store and download some sort of front end for this system that'll make it super easy to generate basically any image you want. Maybe not with like, you know, completely unfettered. I'm sure like apps will have to abide yeah. by content rules, you know, as they pertain to like app stores and various distribution mediums, whatever. You know, at least on the web, it'll be easy to generate any image that your heart desires. Yeah, of course, like the technically inclined can just download the model right now and generate anything they want, I guess right. within the bounds of the training data set. But yeah. <laughs> it does keep me up at night, not going to lie. Yeah. And another thing we haven't touched on is just like the propaganda potential too, right? Yeah. So, you know, in the, in the first piece I did about this, I just, as an exercise, tried to generate some images of like the war in Ukraine, as vague as that is. And it spit out, you know, military stock footage, basically. You know, I didn't check to see if the uniforms were correct and all that, but I'm sure you could customize the prompt to to make sure that like the insignias are correct and just... But the way that social media operates, like an image like that could spread like wildfire. And of course, there yeah. are fact checkers and, and policies in place to prevent the spread of misinformation like that, AI generated or not. But it's like when you have so many people doing it at scale someday, potentially, it's going to be tough <laughs> to, to yeah. combat. Well, and you brought that up to about kind of like the buck seems to be passing or, you know, but maybe it was always falling to content networks and publishers, right? Like they're the ones who bear the brunt of this new capability is like, they're the ones who are responsible for ensuring that this content doesn't show up on their sites or is removed when it does, right? Which we already know that they're overwhelmed as is. They're overwhelmed without a whole host of artificial content that looks real. Like they're drowning in real content that they need to be monitoring and getting off of their site. So once you start introducing this and with the accessibility that like, I mean, I was flabbergasted by how easily I was in and just going like, yeah, do this. And it was just spitting out like, just I'm looking at one right now. It looks beautiful. It looks like it was hand painted by a human being. Yeah, it's that is terrifying to me, right? It's going to be a content moderation nightmare for people. Look at what happened to Pornhub, for example, after like those allegations of child pornography and, and exploitation making their way onto a platform like payment processors were just all of a sudden not having it. Didn't want to be involved with that, understandably. Now you open, I mean, when you factor in this technology, like it gets even worse depending yeah. on how pessimistic you are about it. So like some platforms might not be able to handle it. I just don't see how they can moderate effectively these images, especially if they're increasingly convincing and there's no obvious tell that they're fake. Well, and you could very easily do a chain where you're like the auto generating the prompts to generate a specific type of content and then auto publishing to whatever platform endpoint, like just spamming the hell out of it. Right. Like it would be a torrent and there's nothing technically preventing that from happening. Right? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, they, they seem aware of this technology, but not necessarily taking steps to mitigate it. Spoke to like uh, Patreon, which allows some adult content artwork for the most part and mm -hmm. OnlyFans. And they said, you know, they're, they're not going to allow deep fakes as they haven't in the past, regardless of their point of origin, this new technology or older technologies. But they didn't tell me specifically, uh, we have a new filtering system. You know, they, right. they didn't mention any sort of automated approaches they're taking, maybe because they don't exist. Right. <laughs> and then OnlyFans point blank told me, you know, this is an evolving 
issue and we're going to continue to monitor it, which suggests to me that um, <laughs> they're going to uh, investigate it as best they can, but don't necessarily have an approach. Yeah, they, uh, It seems like it's going to be sort of ad hoc. You know, if they spot something that's an obvious problem, like an account that's, you know, spitting out violating content or content that's against their terms of service, they'll get rid of it, they'll, they'll shut it down. But at scale, I don't know, depending on how sophisticated the actor is, like you said, you know, somebody could just spam these services and, and cause them a lot of pain and revenue. <laughs> well, we'll keep an eye on this. It's probably going to evolve very quickly now that like we've already seen it, as you pointed out, and we'll look forward to your article. It's really snowballing as it is. So You'll keep on it, I'm sure, and TechCrunch readers will be able to follow it there. But thanks so much for coming on, Kyle. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on. I always love to talk about this as um, dystopian as it can be. (laughs) Next, Brian Heater joins to talk about the upcoming Apple iPhone event. And he breaks down a story by Sarah Perez detailing the U.S. Department of Justice beginning the process of filing an antitrust lawsuit against Apple. Hey, Brian, how's it going? Good, all right. I am traveling back to California soon. Oh boy, California knows how to party. Are you excited about it? <laughs> it does, and many other. <laughs> Wait, no, that's that's a Tupac song. I was, I, I, I think for some reason <laughs> this is gonna be real. This is gonna sound really bad, and they shouldn't admit it loud. But like, I heard somebody talk about Danny California recently, so I've got all of those terrible Red Hot Chili Peppers California related songs in my head. But <laughs> I, I caught it before I said it, and then I still admitted it. So I don't know. Yeah. So we're uh, off to a bad start. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a great start. Okay. There's something else in California is Cupertino, the mm-hmm. headquarters of Apple, which is what we're here to talk about. So it works. Natural transition. So Sarah wrote this article on TechCrunch, just to be clear. But Ryan, you follow the company very closely mm-hmm. and you've graciously accepted our invitation to come in and talk about it. What can you tell us about these rumblings that maybe Apple is facing a DOJ investigation related to antitrust? Sure. Rumblings are the right word. So to start from the beginning of the story specifically, a Politico report came out toward the end of last week, basically saying that the DOJ is building a case against Apple is probably the best way to say it. Mm. And this is part of a longstanding thing. There's two flanks here, right? So there's the government has been looking into Apple generally, it was the app store stuff originally. So, you know, like the payment system, the the cut they were taking out of it. Obviously, there was like a big kerfuffle between them and Epic. Which is ongoing, right? I think it's in appeals right now, but yeah. I think it's ongoing. And also Epic, I don't think, I haven't looked for a while, but I, I still, I don't think you can get Fortnite in the app store anymore. I think that's still, no, they bypassed it. And then there was some tile stuff. They filed some anti-competitive complaints when Apple launched its own trackers because everything is tied so closely to the Apple ecosystem that there's like certain functionality that you can't have if you're a third-party product. And then the, the second flank of this is the Biden administration and the US government in general is getting more aggressive about cracking down on tech monopolies. Right. The best example of that was the Meta lawsuit. So this is like an actual, I think this is an actual active lawsuit at the moment from the FCC against Meta, was going to acquire a company called Within Unlimited. And this is like the first major antitrust case against them of this nature right now, which it's wild to see because this is like of all the things to send up a red flag for the US government, it's, mm. it's them buying up another VR company. Yeah, It feels kind of like they bought the hype. Like they were like, oh yeah, I guess VR is the next major computing platform. Just like kind of Zuckerberg seems to believe. And I think jury is still out on that one. But it's very suspicious because it's like, yeah, you didn't bat an eye when they bought Instagram. Or I don't 
think they did. It's hard to remember that far back. But. Well, there's a, there's always a little bit of scrutiny, right. but God, that must have been a, yeah, that was under Obama, right? So that was a couple of administrations ago. There was a lot of big talk under the Trump administration, and that was mostly around like shadow banning stuff. It was mostly around right. Republicans being worried about their effectively getting banned from social media, or at least having their stuff knocked down the search algorithms. But they've been upfront about this. I think in general, this is not to get too political on my end, but I think this is a good thing. I think tech monopolies are a major problem right now. There's one of two things you can do to address it. You can either start breaking them up, which I don't think is a terrible idea, or you can like have the discussion around effectively like making some of these platforms arms of the government, like having them publicly owned in that way. So I think it's a good thing. In general, I think a lot of these tech companies are a little too large, but the question is one, there's a lot of precedent in the past of these things getting through. So how closely do you stick to that? And then like, what battles do you choose to fight? Right. You know, I was covering Amazon's acquisition of iRobot, which I don't think is necessarily as much of a problem from the monopoly standpoint, but it's certainly a problem from the privacy standpoint. Like that mm-hmm. needs to play into it too, right? I mean, Amazon has a very long history of buying up companies like Ring. They have that recognition company that was doing facial recognition for the uh, US-Mexico border. And now they're buying a company that is quite literally mapping the inside of your house. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I mean, personally, again, like this is whatever we express our opinions does not necessarily reflect the views of of TechCrunch, right? Sure. Yeah. But I think they are all deserving of more scrutiny. I think it's interesting with this report, right? It's not surprising. It's one of these things where we see it and we think like, if they weren't, that would be more surprising. If they didn't constantly have at least a dossier open on like, let's say the top five largest tech companies by like market cap, I would be very, very surprised, right? Maybe it's more than that to raise to the level of like a report like this. And you mentioned all the other reasons why it's like, oh, yes, it makes absolute sense that they would do this given all the private litigation going on that is kind of related to this, right? That's usually a big trigger for this kind of thing. But I think what's interesting to me is like Apple must know this is coming too. They must know they're treading ever closer to the line every time they make one of these moves, right? And especially in a tech industry post Microsoft facing this kind of action. Like that was obviously a huge wake up call. Like, oh, this can happen and you must be prepared for it and kind of like gird your corporate lawyer department for this kind of thing at all times. Do you feel like that's right? Or do you feel like they're kind of like so arrogant or whatever that they just don't think that this will ever be a real issue for them to face? Yeah, I mean, you touch on this and and real heads will remember in the 90s Windows (laughs) Windows <laughs> was the big thing. A lot of the software that they were shipping on their devices. And and like, quite frankly, it's been flipped on its head, right? People who are old enough to remember this stuff going down to the 90s couldn't imagine a time when Apple would be in this position. Right. They, they were basically at their nadir at that point. I think one, yes, of course these dossiers exist, but there's a difference between keeping track of these things and actually taking action. Mm-hmm. And I think in a really meaningful sense, this would probably be the biggest one of these to happen since Microsoft, really. So, you know, we're talking about 20, 25 year span in the interim of them not legislating. So it's something that you've like, you know, that you've got kind of in the corner of your minds. Apple has the deepest pocketbooks in the world. I assume they also have the best lawyers in the world too to cover this stuff. But Microsoft is a reminder that the one fight you can't win if you're Apple is against the U.S. government. Like yeah. they, they will, if this is something that they really actively want to pursue, they will do it. You know, assuming 
I think that there is bipartisan support, which is like, this is actually one of a very small handful of issues that I think you could actually get bipartisan support in the US on because, you know, Republicans and Democrats alike have reason to dislike these tech monopolies. So that much is feasible, but all of this needs to be couched and caveated by saying that one, this is a report. And two, this is early stage stuff. Yeah. It's very possible that they're building a case and they don't deliver on it. But the fact that it's it's risen up to a point where we're talking about it right now would lead one to believe that this is more of a possibility than it ever has been. Right. Yeah. And I think to your point about the bipartisan support, right? Like if you're in this position where you are in Apple in previous administrations, you could probably just kind of think like, well, we can wait it out. Like they might build this case and then it might not be a priority for the next government if it flips sides of the political spectrum or whatever. But now that situation is quite different because it seems like even if it switches, the other one might also be like, yeah, this is a win for us, too. So we'll pick up and continue the investigation and press forward. Yeah, I think the question is, what's the straw here, right? right. Like what breaks the camel's back as far as like it's understood that Apple has a monopoly in some places. I do think, honestly, the App Store is is an issue. The fact that there is really no meaningful way to circumvent that is an issue. I don't think you can, you can't make the same argument that Apple has a monopoly on smartphones, for example, right? right. Because like it's, it's got good market share. It's largely the second or third largest company in the world behind, you know, Samsung and occasionally some, you know, other like often Chinese companies float up to the top as well. But what they do have is this really strict ecosystem Again, all consumer electronics companies worth their salt have a strong ecosystem too, but they all run Android. And that's, yeah. a, that's a huge difference here, right? It's a huge difference when you're making your hardware, you're making your software. And if you are a third-party app developer and want to get on the number two piece of hardware, you have to play ball. Right. Yeah. I think it, it really is a unique case, but like definitely one that we'll be watching and maybe they'll get the straw next week. <laughs> I mean, like feasibly, yeah, this is an interesting thought experiment because obviously a new iPhone was yeah. not going to tip it over. Right. They have like much closer to monopoly in smartwatches. It's not a monopoly. They're closer. But, I, you know, a new Apple watch isn't going to tip it. It will be interesting, though, if if it comes to pass that they launch this AR, VR, XR headset that we've been hearing rumors about and they dominate that space. And like that could feasibly a few years down the road, that could feasibly be it. Right. Well, especially now that the DOJ has shown an interest in that, right? Like they were willing to go after Meta for that. So maybe they're willing to go after Apple for it too. But I, like speaking of this event, so this was my yeah. clumsy transition, but we are, sure. we're going into Apple event week next week. They're doing their event on Wednesday. September 7th, and it's the big iPhone event, right? But they face a lot of scrutiny over their ads practices, over the way that they've locked down the platform. And there's evidence to suggest they're going to be introducing even more products there. I mean, they they are. They are introducing more products there, and then they could go even deeper, and they could go deeper with services, too. So I think that's something to watch for, for next week, for sure. Yeah, and that bears highlighting. There's such a long laundry list that I didn't even touch on, but the ads thing is really interesting from the standpoint of looking at another company that we've been talking about a lot, uh, Facebook. Like Apple can basically flip a switch and all of a sudden Facebook's ad revenue just completely dries up. <laughs> and that like certainly nobody on this call and probably very few people listening are especially sympathetic to a company as large as Meta. But if it can happen to Meta, then it can happen to anybody. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, thanks very much, Brian. Is there anything else that you're looking forward to next week. I know you're going to be there and, you know, we're going to be following along remotely, but anything top of your list for the Apple event? I have a lot of <laughs> long lists. Here, here's what I'll say. So here's what to look out for. So on the iPhone side, four new devices, 
sounds like they're getting rid of the mini, you know, maybe we'll see an SE at some point. Like I think getting rid of a smaller phone altogether is a mistake, but it's effectively like four devices in two configurations. So two 14s, 14 and 14 Pro, and then 14 Max and then 14 Pro Max. And all of the meaningful updates that we're going to see with these devices are going to be coming on the Pro device. And I think what's really interesting there is... I suspect a big part of the reason why that's happening is because of supply chain right. shortages that like you can't really a new display with a 120 hertz refresh rate. They're just even for a company Apple size, the supply chains are so tied up right now that they can't put it on every single device. No. Yeah, it's got to be top tier to introduce some engineered scarcity. Right. So that people are like, well, I'm a little bit price sensitive and then they'll hopefully keep their numbers down. But yeah, it will be really interesting to watch how things break up. I think this will be one of the more interesting splits between the regular and the pro line. And then we have the potential for a new split in the watch line with a new introduction of a pro model watch, right? Yeah, an outdoor, so like a Garmin competitor is what what they're talking about there. Possibly three devices, so your standard Apple Watch, your Max Pro, whatever they call it, their, their rugged outdoor device. Yeah. Maybe there's satellite communication on that. Maybe there's satellite communication on the iPhone. And you're going to like this because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie this all together really nicely. One thing that we will not be seeing on the new iPhones, can you guess what it is, Daryl? Uh, an Intel chip well wi-fi chip no i don't know i don't know where you're going with this <laughs> well, there will be a qualcom, oh, qualcom. Chip, yeah, yeah, most yeah. likely but no no but uh usbc oh that's right yes and the reason why this ties things together really nicely is because legislation has already passed in the eu they're talking about it here in the states they're talking about it in india so like this is probably almost certainly going to be the last set of iphones with the lightning port which is i think is great i hate the lightning port I oh think it's just, awful it's awful but the eu legislation goes into effect next year. So Apple needs to do it because it doesn't make sense on a device like this to just have lightning and USB-C in certain markets. Yeah. So one more. So if you're a real big lightning fan, you better get this generation. But that's probably no. Yeah. If you, <laughs> if you want to save money by not throwing out cords and buying, you know, $1,200 phone, then, then now is your time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks, Brian. And enjoy your trip out there. And we'll check in with you again, probably following. But really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. We'll see you next week. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining us. And remember to check out all the stories we talked about in this episode on TechCrunch.com. Also, TechCrunch Disrupt is coming up on October 18th through the 20th, live in San Francisco with guests including Serena Williams, Chris Dixon, and more. Use code TCPOD, all one word, to get 15% off passes, excluding the online and expo versions. Be sure to check out all the other TC podcasts, Found, Equity, Chain Reaction, and the TechCrunch Live podcast. See you next week. The TechCrunch podcast is hosted by myself, managing editor Daryl Etherington. We're produced by Maggie Stamets with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week. 